Baltimore. 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 Welcome to Unpacking the Box Podcast, Season 5, Baltimore Love. This is Linnea, your host, and thank you so much for tuning in. Guys, you are in store for something so great. I am repping my city where I was born and raised. Let's go. Tonight, I'm here with a Baltimore City School educator, Akeem Jones. Hello, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm blessed. Good. So before we get started, for the people who may not know, where are you from? I am from Baltimore in Hartford County. I I lived in both all my life. So I moved multiple places. I would sit there and say from the ages of of one through 11, I moved to seven different places between Baltimore and Hartford County, but I currently live in Hartford County, but I've worked in Baltimore for going on 20 years now. Okay. And were, were you born in Baltimore? I was born in Hartford County. I was oh, born in Baltimore. My family lives, my whole family lives in Baltimore. They were born and raised in Baltimore. My parents moved out to Hartford County when I was a kid. We were one of the first black families to integrate a community back in the seventies. And then I end up leaving Hartford County for some interesting reasons and end up moving into Baltimore. So it was a major culture shock. I ended up moving to the east side of Baltimore for Guilford Avenue, which oh, was wow. a major culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which was a major culture shock. Then I moved to the west side on Bitlow. Then I lived in Winchester Apartments for a while. Then then we lived in Woodlawn. Then I moved back to Harper County. Wow. So, so the time that you were in Baltimore, like what was, what was your experience like? I love Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore was great. I grew up in the eighties. 
So I grew up just as the crack era was going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I went to Baltimore City Public Schools from uh, second grade to the sixth grade, uh, to part of the sixth grade. I think I was in Calverton maybe for 10 days before my father was like, nah, this ain't working. We're going out to Woodlawn. And I ended up going to Woodlawn for a year and a half. I ended up living, we were, we were in Woodlawn. They were, just, they were just transferring me back and forth for about 10 days and I moved into county. And it was different. Baltimore was nice. It, it, it was interesting. It was, it's hard because when I talk to my students, I try to explain to them that the way I remember Baltimore is nothing like Baltimore is today. Mm-hmm. It isn't. It is, you had communities, you had tight-knit communities. Were they, was it violence? Yes, it was violence. Was it, was it an interesting experience? Yes, it was very interesting experience. Was I around that type? Yes, but you also had communities. I lived in Winchester Apartments, one of the roughest communities in the city, and you still had family. There was still a core family values, and this was during the drug trade. Mm-hmm. Drugs wasn't introduced to us. You know, none of my friends sold drugs. You know, if, if you had to know somebody to even be acquainted with it. We played baseball for James Mosier, you know, and we did dumb things, but for the most part, we, and most of my friends were enjoying school. So that was also interesting. And even when I was in Calverton, even my friends that when I found out was selling drugs, they never brought it into the school. Mm-hmm. So it was just a completely different, it was a different mindset. Now, have did you have neighborhoods? Could I go to a certain part of Baltimore where I shouldn't know? My grandmother lived on the east side. So when I would visit my grandmother, I was a west side kid. So yes, you were going to get in maybe one or two fights. And after that, it was all said and done. But outside of that, it was a great, I enjoyed it. It was, it was one of the best experiences I've had in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, what school at, do you teach at and what grade? I teach at ACE, the Academy for College and Career Exploration. I've taught every grade from six through 12. Right now, I'm currently teaching ninth grade U.S. history. Okay, awesome. And I've been at, yes, I've been at ACE for 13 years. And before that, I started to teach, I, I was, I started to teach at Lombard. Lombard Middle School before I went to ACE. Okay. So, like, what inspired you to become a teacher? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I wanted to be a politician at first. <laughs> that was, <laughs> and maybe that's still in a, I don't know. Uh, you know, um, became, I wanted to be a teacher because I was a kid that struggled with school. History was what I was great at, but I struggled in math. Uh, I have a documented learning disability. And I came from an interesting background, both of my mother and my father at the time, where my my father was addicted to heroin and my mom wasn't on drugs, but at one point in time, she just got out of jail. But they always put education first in our household. Mm -hmm. And then my mom died when I was 13 years old. And it was just something that I wanted to do. And I met some great teachers. One at James Moser, name is Boyer, who really kind of started to wheels turning for education. I was in the fifth grade. Then I met a black teacher in Hartford County named Mr. Fulton. And then I had a couple of good white teachers in Hartford County, which was Miss Frankers and a baseball coach of mine. And another black teacher, Miss Parsons, that all kind of inspired me to want to be a teacher and a course teacher, Mr. Winfield. They all kind of inspired me to want to be a teacher. And then 
when I would substitute, when I would go to college, I went to Frostburg State University, I would go home and substitute for spring break and the winter break. And when I went home and I started to sub, I got that bug and I just loved it. And it was like, oh, wow, this is for me, you know, and I was actively involved in politics. I was my colleges, I was my college vice president um, at Frostburg State University, but I was just, I got the bug and I wanted to teach. And then when I, it's so funny, things working weird ways. When I graduated, I did a year of grad school at Frostburg and I came back home. Don't know why I came back home. Had no job or anything else. And I was thinking of joining the police force because I needed a job. And then a friend of the family was like, Baltimore City is hiring. And I went to the hiring fair and I got a job. Oh, awesome. Okay. So you got right yeah. in. Yes. And from there, it was because I didn't go the traditional way. I had to go the other way. And from that point on, I've been a teacher. Yes, and I've heard some really great things about you. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, so, and I was going through your page and stuff. You can just tell, like, when you have those good teachers that you just never forget. Um, so, like, what kind of techniques do you use to reach those students um, in school? It's been a, it's been gradual, and I tell people all the time, teaching is, is ever-changing. It, 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 it evolves, as anything does. And as you put into any relationship, teaching is the same way. If I, I'm married, I've been married for 18 years. My relationship, it has its ups, it has its downs, but you have to evolve, you have to change. And if you do not change and if you stay stagnant, you're gonna fall. I can't teach the way I taught in 2001. In 2019, it's just not, in 2020, it's just not gonna work. So how I look at teaching is, is key is building relationships. Then is understanding the children's story in some way, shape, and form. It's understanding where they come from, their background, and who they are. Even if the child, even if you have a child that annoys you and is rough around the edges, you have to understand them in some way, shape, or form. You also have to also come off as not even I'm because I'm not with the friend thing, and I tell kids I'm not here to be a friend, but I am here to teach you and also be fair. And what I mean fair is make sure you set rules and expectations, but don't be so ridiculous and rigid to your rules and expectations that you don't understand it and want you as a kid or you have a child. So those things mm -hmm. that you gotta keep in mind and also be creative and be open for discussions and be a, and sometimes be okay with the child taking you in a different direction as far as it's not somewhere that's completely to the left field because sometimes kids want to discuss like in right now we're in COVID some of my kids they just want to talk they just want to see somebody they're tired of being in the house and they want to have a relationship and that's the key and if they find you that you are a genuine person and that you really care about them children will do anything for you even the rough children and I tell people that a child you can sit there and say you know, unfortunately, I've had kids that have done horrible things, but then I sit there and they were like, how was your experience with him? I didn't have a bad experience. Why? Because I treated him as a, I treated him like a person. I didn't look at him at his rap sheet. I didn't look at him for what his suspension was. I didn't look at him or her that they may have cussed out the teacher down the hallway because those things happened. I looked at them for an individual and I started my relationship off with them at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think when you give children those opportunities, they do the best for you. But you also got to understand where they come from. I know when I was a kid and my father and my mom were feuding with each other and, and my life was rocky, 
my behavior wasn't great. My behavior was horrible. I was put in all types of classes. You know, I was in the class, I was in the class that was in a corner of the building. You know, that nobody wanted to go to, oh, those are the kids that don't belong outside the classroom. You know, but I knew what it was because I was looking for affection and attention at that time. I was dealing with so many other things and our kids come with baggage and you have to be understand, you have to understand the baggage that they come with. Now, does that mean you let them get away with things? No, you're stern. You make sure you, you lay down what certain things are, but you have to understand they're coming with baggage and they're waiting for you to help them out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people lose that battle because they're still struggling. And that was my first year. Yeah, I was a great teacher. Oh, I had lessons. I could teach up and down the room. I could teach, you know, sleep. But my relationship with my children were not the greatest. And apparently it led to me getting cussed out by sixth graders, which was an <laughs> eye-opening experience. But I'm as sure. I said, oh my gosh, it was. <laughs> but as I said, it was, but again, I did not, I did not allow myself to know who they were. I was very stern and rigid and fussing and all of those things. And yes, I was a good teacher, but I lost some kids that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up because I can't even tell you how many times I have heard people say, and people that have, you know, never even been in Baltimore, wasn't raised in Baltimore, wasn't, you know, from Baltimore, who say, you know, how the kids are so rough and the schools are so rough. But you brought up an amazing point because the key is something is going on with a lot of them at home. And there's something, something's wrong. And so you have to reach them and meet them sometimes at their level and try to understand like what's going on why why are you doing this like why are you why are you acting out why are you saying this so that's important ma'am a kid and i tell people all the time a kid doesn't wake up saying i want to be a killer a kid doesn't wake up saying i want to cuss out my teacher we're not born in that way a kid doesn't wake up saying i'm going to be disrespectful those things do not happen those things are taught those behaviors those behaviors happen because people don't manifest things in their children. Those things happen because they live around hate and they see those things. But even when you have a child that that, that is as street hard and as like like as street hard and street savvy, sometimes they just want affection. They want somebody to be there for them. They want somebody to listen to them. They want somebody to understand where they came from. And a lot of times it's cries for help. The problem is, in a lot of these cases, and I say this, the city is so ill-equipped to help a lot of these kids. Yes, you want to change how you discipline and all of these other things, but you have to almost, you can't go one extreme to the other. And if you don't have a building of social workers, if you don't have an entire floor of social workers in some of these schools, you're not going to reach these kids. Because the issues are far deeper than than what we know of. Like I told people, when COVID, when, when this COVID thing lets lets go, and we have kids that have been out of school for a year, I told somebody, be prepared, and I talked to my friend, be prepared for our kids not falling in the routine correctly for about another year. Some of our kids are going to come back with PTSD because we don't know what their experience was at home. We don't know how they had to survive at home. School sometimes is, a, is an outlet. Even a kid that gets, because I was an administrator at one point in time, even a kid that gets suspended a lot of times, if you constantly see him coming back to the school, you automatically know his home structure is not great. School is somewhere where he needs to be. 
Mm-hmm. Now, are there real consequences for 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 the female or the or the male student that 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 breaks those rules? Yes, you have to be firm, but they're crying for help, and that's the thing I don't think in urban education we have yet to unlock. How do we get them help while making sure we keep some type of order within our school buildings? Because the help is, is deeper. The issues that our kids are going up is a lot deeper than what we know. Mm-hmm. And that's another great point. I was just talking about this on another show, how like, you know, you have the side of it where the parents are complaining and wanting their kids to go back to school, right? But um, the kid, the kids, some kids are like, you know, their virtual them being in virtual school is kind of their shield they're hiding in that because they've been bullied and stuff like that and then you have the other child who needs to be in class because their shield is school you know because of what's going on at home so that that's a that's a wonderful point that you brought up i'm glad you did that because you know people are not understanding that you know no not at all and it's something that i have a 12 year old daughter my daughter just turned 12 uh pretty good a, a fantastic kid I had no you know my daughter is raised raised well and hasn't had to deal with none of the struggles me and her mother you know had went through you know pretty stable very stable home you know minus the occasional issues that just life puts you through but mm-hmm. even she struggled she struggled by because she sat in the house she wasn't she couldn't go out she couldn't go to school she sat in the house on her cell phone and did nothing it, it, it went through some sort of depression and you know when it doesn't didn't help that i and i'm also i'm an open book i tell people a lot of times i battled with anxiety all my life and then with covid my anxiety went up to nine thousand. so then you know dad dad's going through what he's going through and she felt it my daughter's an empath so she felt it and those are the things you don't understand which you what comes off you a lot of times your children are going to feel or your children are going to manifest and those things you have to make sure you're running a decent balance. So I know with my child who lives in the suburbs completely, you know, and, and, and has a structured life. And even you got kids in the city that have very structured lives. But right now, this is not normal, regardless of what, you, what we're going through. This is not normal. And nobody's going to convince you it's not normal. It isn't. We're not living in normal times. So you can't right. act as if it is normal. Right. And, and what has your experience been like, like teaching virtually? How has I that impacted virtual. you? You hate it? I hate virtual, <laughs> I hate virtual teaching. I, I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I love my kids. I do. I'm tired of looking at black screens every day. You know, <laughs> it's hard to establish core relationships, but my kids love my class. And the ones that don't, they kind of fall off and it's hard to reach them because if I was in the building, I would find them in the hallway. So why aren't you coming to class? What's going on? What, what can we do to make you come to class? What can we do to get you to passing? You know, I'm not one of them teachers that, oh, F, F, F. No, that's not, no, that's not the mindset. I'm not here to destroy children. Uh, and, and those are the things that, that, but I hate virtual teaching. I hate walking from upstairs, downstairs to my little basement that I had to make my little office. And that was my rest haven at one point in time. Now it is my classroom. It's annoying. I hate it. Yeah, I'm sure. It's like, you know, I, I think everybody's just like, man, it's, everybody's just over it completely. <laughs> yes. So can you share a time that you helped a student overcome something? 
it's multiple times. I mean, I, I just look at it as, and I can't speak of any, it's, my kids come from interesting backgrounds. So at times it's just me trying to be there for certain kids and develop positive relationships with them. Through death, unfortunately, a lot of my kids deal with death. Heck, as a teacher, I, gosh, the one bad part about it is I've dealt with more kids dying from street stuff than I've dealt with knowing people that died from war. You know, so when you come and you have kids that are struggling and going through those types of things, it's just making sure that they are, they have somebody to talk to. And, you know, they have an ear to talk to. They have an ear to vent to. They have somebody that they can cry to. And those are the things that as a teacher, I've done multiple times, you know, and I'm somebody that I look that they can relate because I've been through some of those struggles. You know, I dealt with my parents that were substance abuse. You know, they, they, they became clean, but dealt with substance abuse. I dealt with my mom going to jail, seeing the cops drag my mother out the house and then being coming home and seeing my house ripped and shambles. And that was when I lived in the county and mom gone for a year and a half. So you have to understand those things and, you know, where the kids come from. So there's been multiple times that I've done things for kids, you know, for giving them money, getting them jobs and things like that. It's just trying to find what their needs are and being there for them. So mm-hmm. I can't think of just one time. I can't. I don't have one time. I, I have very good relations. Like I had one kid. I can just give you a story. My first year I was teaching, I had a kid named Devon Brown. Devon was in this story called Boys of Baraka. He's very active on the political scene. He ran for um, city council a couple of years back. Uh, great kid. But when I had Devon, his my first year teaching, Devon gave everybody problems. I'm not going to cuss on here because it's a family friend, but Devon gave everybody issues. I may have saw Devon at Lombard six times in a day. He got kicked out of every class. <laughs> but for some strange reason, he found a relationship with me. He Now, did he do great in my class? Not really. But we always had this bond. And we had this bond from maybe the second week of school. But I, I ultimately realized I couldn't. You're not going to break the bond by making him say, okay, you're going to follow rules. This is what you're going to do and all that. The bond's not that t- He wasn't that type of kid at that point in time. And lo and behold, we had this friendship we developed. He ends up going to Africa for a year to study at the school called Boys of Morocco. They end up shutting down and coming back home. Mm-hmm. And then I end up teaching Devon his senior year. At this time, Devon is a family friend. He's been at my wedding. He knows my wife. He stayed over my house. Those are the relationships we had. And I taught him his senior year. <laughs> and I was the, the irony was he he jokes because we were so close. I failed him because he didn't turn in a research paper. He was so hurt. I failed him the first quarter. And he was like, I can't believe you failed me, Jones. Uh, our friendship you're about to go to college. Our friendship and my mentorship has nothing to do with you being able to meet deadlines. In college, there are going to be deadlines in life. and work, there's going to be deadlines in life. You're going to have to make. And he turned in and got an A the following, the following quarter. And, you know, and I'm like, as much as you have my phone number, you could have called me and we could have worked this out together. But I understand because I know you, you're being stubborn. But I looked at that as kind of being a lesson you know, that he learned. One of the small lessons that he learned, because he's learned many. Devon is an amazing adult now and was an amazing kid then. 
but that was something that I taught him. It was a rough lesson, but it was something that he learned about mm-hmm. the importance of meeting deadlines and expectations. Yes, I love that. That's what I'm actually in the process of. Uh, we are over here trying to teach our son. Our son is turning 18 next week, and we have already started the uh, the journey with the colleges. And you know, we're like, listen, because these kids just don't understand. You know, this is a crunch time. You can't just be showing up late and and, and turning stuff in late. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, and that's the hard thing where we're going at. Because it's that way even now, even the way, because I'm not at a school like City, Poly, Western, or Dunbar, that you can kind of do those types of things. ACE is not that way. We're very big on building relationships. Our kids come from many different backgrounds. And the standards that I have, I got to set in a certain way, but I can't be as rigid as I would be at a city, poly, or Western, or somewhere like that, because we don't have those types of kids. We have amazing children, and we have kids that are that are going to do amazing things and, and have went on to do amazing things, but we have a different level of child, so we got to meet them at certain levels, but one thing is expectations. It is. Now, COVID, I kind of loosened up, but outside of COVID, no, this is a deadline, and if you don't meet the deadline, there has to be a consequence for that. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get a certain age. And that's what I, t- I tell my kids all the time. I said, I'm very black and white. I'm not. And if you understand that there, there there's an action and there's a reaction that comes with those things. And you have to make sure that you follow by those things. We can't go. It's so interesting seeing now that we're dealing with, I'm just going to go politics because I can just relate it to, to certain things like the storming of the Capitol. Uh, there's so many excuses to the storming of the Capitol, but you didn't have the same excuse for when black people were crying, for when black people and, and people were crying out for that same help. But now those consequences are coming. You want to cry, you want to say the government censored me, and those things, no, you broke the rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you broke the rule that everybody else had to follow, but now those rules don't fit your narrative. You're upset about them. But the problem is you broke the rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. and- yep. And that's, I want to go off on that, but I did want to kind of relate it. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. No, and that's that's that on that. Yes, that's true. I agree. I I completely agree. Um, so what would you? What advice would you give to someone who wants to become a teacher? What would you tell them? That's so interesting because uh, I'm I have an LLC that I'm getting up off the um, that I'm getting up off the ground. I've been working on it for two years. My LLC is to is to motivate, is to keep young teachers into education. Because <laughs> a lot of times we don't have, well, teachers, they go into it and then they get so bogged down in their first year, they get they get tore up their first year. I equate it to when I was in college and at one point in time I joined my fraternity. You, you're, you're going through some type of process. That that That, that is an interesting thing. And with teaching, <laughs> It's that way your first year because you're dealing with the kids are different. So the the, the goal of my organization that I'm tr- that I'm in a process of starting up is to make sure that, that that teachers have resources because the key is to have a resource. If I didn't have my core group of people and individuals in my first year teaching, me and my wife we met at teaching. If I didn't have her in a strong group of teachers that I'm still friends with now. I don't know if I, in my family, I don't know if I would have had a job. So I'm trying to create, I'm trying to put that into play and to build that type of atmosphere for teachers that when you just say, I'm tired, I, a child just called me off 
and especially in urban education. A parent just told me off. I got hung up. I have a lesson plan that's due. I got grades that's due. Uh, and I got schoolwork to do. I'm burnt out. I want to quit. And you have to be understanding that this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. It will pass. The first year is never going to be, I say the three, the, the, the hardest years in teaching of the, of the three are is your first, your second, and your third year. Once you get past that, it's smooth sailing. It's going to be ever-changing, but it is smooth sailing. And just to make sure that you stick with it and that you see it through the journey. And regardless of how dark it gets, how frustrated it gets, how lonely that ride gets at home, the discussions that you had, what has to be due, stick it out, and I swear to you the rewards are worth it. And, you know, it's not about money and all that, although I don't live bad. I, I've been able to do everything I wanted to do in life. You know, it's not mm-hmm. about money, but it's the reward about kids. I love urban education. I love black children. I'm not going to sit there and sugarcoat it any other way. I would work well with any other child, but I love African-American children. I love where I work at. And those relationships and kids remember me 20 years ago. And those things w- which pay off, but I, the, the goal was sticking through it and making sure you understand that it's changing. It, it, the one day will never be like the other. It changes every single day. And if it doesn't change, you need to go elsewhere because that means you're getting bored. And that means you may want to look elsewhere. It may, it, and that's when I started to get bored in education, I went to administration. I started to go elsewhere within education where I can still help kids because I was getting bored. Now I'm back in the classroom, I'm refreshed and I love it. You know, but it may be on down the road, I may go back into administration, but it's just sticking with your journey because those kids need you. They need people that look like us. They need they need African-Americans, they need strong African-Americans, they need black males, they need black females, and they crave it. And there's nothing wrong with white teachers, there's nothing wrong with any other background, but they need us because that's who they see and they need to see those positive role models. Mm-hmm. And it's just sticking through the journey. That's what I tell teachers, and that's what my goal for when I start my LLC is just giving teachers resources, giving teachers other teachers that they could build upon, giving teachers, uh, having teachers that you just need to call and fit to let me know how that day is and what we can do to help and things like that. But that's my goal because I've just seen so many teachers go, man, I'm done. And they're great teachers. I'm done. I'm going back to grad school. I'm, I want to be a lawyer. I'm done. I'm going back to grad school. I want to be a doctor. And there's nothing wrong with that. But those children need you. And I've just seen a lot of people that just left the profession that were great teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest issue with Baltimore. The biggest issue in Baltimore is not everybody can sit there and say everything else from a teaching standpoint. It's the turnover. Turnover is a killer, especially in the middle grades. It is a killer. You don't, you're constantly rotating teachers because people don't stick in the profession. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And I'm sure they would appreciate that, that um, support, you know, that support from you and your company and what you're doing. Like, that's great. I love it. And also that would, that's what, what you said, that makes a good teacher when you love what you do and when you love the students, like you genuinely love them. And that makes like, that's the perfect recipe for a great teacher. Oh, so I love that. I love that. Thank so, you. Thank you're you. welcome. 
so before we get out of here because i enjoy talking to you you dropped so many great gems and i know people are going to love this episode and they're going to get so much from it but before you leave i would like you to unpack your box which is something i love to do with every guest you basically get one minute just to say whatever you want to say this is just a great therapeutic session where you can just release whatever you want you know okay so that's interesting <laughs> unpacking my box okay yes <laughs> okay when do i start oh go ahead go ahead you can start now okay i don't know i don't really have a whole lot to unpack i, I appreciate this time that you gave me i appreciate the interview and i appreciate the platform that you that you're having it's pro- it's a blessing to so many people so now i'm definitely going to go and subscribe to this podcast although i hate hearing my voice on anything so that I probably won't but I want you to listen to other podcasts because I really appreciate it and I ultimately think Baltimore needs that Baltimore is more than a wire Baltimore is more than a crime rate Baltimore is more than corrupt mayors Baltimore is the city where I grew up in that taught me family that taught me values and Baltimore is a fantastic place that everybody needs to experience. It's not listening to the press and the media that gives you a skewed skewed view of this city because the city is one of the best in the world. And I've been to multiple different places and there's no place like Baltimore. And it's a place that has taught me so many life lessons and have given me so many gems that I could carry on. Baltimore is me, Baltimore is my family. (laughs) And those are the things that I would love to unpack. Yes, I love that. Y'all y'all get into it, okay? That, and that's the reason why I'm doing this season because I want people to know that it is a beautiful place with beautiful people doing amazing work. So thank you so much again for gracing the podcast. And, you know, do you want to um, leave, like, your handles? You got social media, your websites, you want the people to follow you on? I'm um, on Facebook. That's about it. But outside of that, no, I'm fine. I'm on Facebook. My name is Akeem Jones. Um, and I'm at Facebook, so you could definitely talk to me on Facebook or holler at me from that lens. If, you, if you're a teacher and you're out there and you definitely need help or you definitely need somebody to, to help build with you and to build a positive relationship and you're struggling, please talk to me. Uh, any education consultant firm, that's me. And I'm definitely going to launch it this summer. So thank you. Yes, that's amazing. You guys connect um, if you need to, okay? All right, well, thank you again. We are out. Hold up. Before you leave, subscribe to your girl's podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And also keep up with me on Instagram at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast. You can also keep up with your girl on Clubhouse. I host rooms. I pop in and out of rooms, you know, connect with your girl. My name on there is Queen Wolf and that's with two F's like Frank. And you can also email me if you want to collab, you want to work with me, you have a business opportunity, like let's work. If you know me, you know I'm about getting that work done, collabing, you know, let's uplift each other. Let's support each other. You can email me directly at unpackingtheboxpodcast at gmail.com. And if you need help with uh, your uh, creative side, you know where to reach me at Queen Wolf LLC. My website is Queen Wolf, that's two Fs uh, like Frank, dot com. You know, but um, if you follow me on Instagram, you can hit the link in my bio. It will take you every where that I am. All right, y'all. Be well.